ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. I do want to give one update before we get to JR. There has been a trade involving an actual contender in the NBA. It is not James Harden or the Sixers, but the Bucks are getting Serge Ibaka. It's a four-team trade. I haven't even found who the other three teams are, but the Bucks are getting Serge Ibaka. Good morning, JR. How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? Our extreme mixologist. I, I forgot to mention that. Extreme mixologist, JR Starkis. Um, I have a baseball question for you. Rob Manfred has has, uh, talked this morning, did did a press conference during the lockout of Major League Baseball. He said he expects spring training to start on time. Do you? God, I hope so. I mean, I don't, there's a lot of people these days, I don't trust anything that they say, and he's one of them. Uh, So, I mean, I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm hoping though, that in this instance, that like he's, he's, um, he's saying something that's accurate Uh, as a big baseball fan, it would be a shame to, you know, obviously COVID a couple years ago cut spring training short. And while much like the NFL preseason, it really means nothing, um, it is also a sign of things actually getting started. And there are quite a few people that really enjoy, you know, kind of taking the lower key aspect and watching some, some you know, more casual baseball. Um, you know, so, you know, I hope they do get started on time because selfishly too, you know, you have Major League Weekend that comes out here. Uh, in March, and, you know, I hope that we get to see that, too. Oh, yeah, we're probably not going to get to see that, are we? <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, I, I, so it, it, that's, that type of stuff That type of stuff bugs me because, you know, without having a major league team, um, you know, obviously I enjoy watching to go watch the Aviators play, but um, it is also nice to watch the pros come out and, and play. Um, even if you don't get to see all the starters, you get to still see professional baseball, and, um, you know, as, as a father of a, a – of a, baseball athlete and kind of being around it all the time, uh, young men and and young women and young kids just like to get out there and watch them play to see what it takes to maybe potentially play at the next level at some time. So it's, uh, it's always good to see that. And, uh, so I hope we get to see it on time. Are you in high demand among your friends or family's Super Bowl parties? Like, do they, do they like, uh, you know, try to get you to come to their party over somebody else's so that you can come make them drinks? Um, you know what? It's it's funny because I I think it's like a I think it's kind of like a respect thing that they're like, no, he does it all the time. I'm not going to oh, bug him. Like, nice. hey, invite yeah, invite Jr. to the party, but don't ask him to do anything because he does it all the time. So just like let him enjoy uh, a day where he's not doing it. But um, so they don't invite me to parties and ask me to make the drinks. However, if I get to a party and there's like booze lined up on the counter, I often get, yeah, what can I make with this? And so then I'm, you know, tasked with uh, kind of doing what I do for, for the Instagram, which is, you know, shuffling through whatever these people have in their house to try and find a way to make a great cocktail uh, based on what they have in their cupboard and, and uh, on the liquor cabinet. So hold on. What do you prefer? Your friends just explicitly being like, hey, JR, come over to the Super Bowl party. Yeah, you want to make us some drinks? Well, we'd love to that. Or them sort of conning you into doing it once you get there. Well, if I, if I know what I'm walking into, it's always a little bit better. But uh, at this point in my career, I'm, <laughs> I've almost kind of just ex- come to expect it. Like, you know, they're like, hey, come on over. Enjoy the game with us. And I'm like, okay, I'll come over. I know exactly what to do. I almost, I actually bring my bar tools now. I just keep them in my truck where, you know, so I like, they're like, make some drinks. I'm like, hold on, let me go get my stuff. I'll be right back. You know, like, oh, you brought it. I'm like, yeah, because I knew this question was coming. So give me a second, you know. 
I'll be right back. So uh, that, that happens every once in a while. This year, I'm going down to uh, watch the game at, at Stadium Swim at Circa. So um, I, I don't know that I'll be uh, requested to make any beverages, which will be nice. I feel like you're pretty good at not judging people for, like, the alcohol that they like. But do you have any friends that just, like, you judge them for the alcohol they do or don't have in their house or the, uh, you know, non-alcoholic ingredients you would want to use that they do or don't have in their house? <laughs> no, because, uh, I mean, you know, as as I've done this for many years now, um, you know, one of the first, when I first started working for Southern in 2012, my very first training, my mentor, my boss at the time, he told me when I was getting up to make a, 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 a cocktail or do a training for a group of bartenders who were, you know, obviously in industry, regardless of how experienced they were, he told me, he says, hey, make sure you tell them, you, you teach them how to shake. And I said to him, I said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm not going to do that. That's embarrassing. Like, everybody knows how to shake. He says, no, they don't. And I said, come on, they're bartenders. He said, they don't know how to do it. And so I did the training. I, I did what I thought was right, which was not basically kind of demeaning them by teaching them something that they probably already knew. And then as I called these bartenders up to the bar to make drinks with me, I realized, oh, my God, they don't know how to shake. And so I had to, uh, you know, I had to eat my words and, and, and kind of start teaching people how to shake. So with that being said, you know, when I go to somebody's house, I don't expect that they understand what they should have to make a classic or a great cocktail. Um, but most of the time, people have the ingredients lying around. They just don't know how to put them together. So you're telling me you showed up to some Like, this would be like showing up to the NFL Combine and, like, the quarterbacks don't know how to take a snap from under center. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you, 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 it, that's exactly what it is. Or, like, um, you know, you have a, a pitcher that doesn't know how to throw BP. You're like, wait a minute, you don't know how to throw BP? They're like, no, I, only, I can only throw, you know, 90-plus. <laughs> you're like, just move the L screen closer and – Throw it 45 miles an hour. Like, I can't do that. Like, you know, or, you know, classic would be um, a major league, you know, where the catcher can't throw the ball back to the pitcher. You know, they get the yips or something like that, throwing it back. You know, it's just it's just one of those things. You, you'd be surprised what people in our industry have for years gotten away with um, uh, because nobody's ever held them to a higher standard. All right. What are you making us today, Jr. So the cocktail I'm going to do today is, is, is it's called the Queen's Park Swizzle. Uh, the Queen's Park Swizzle is, is kind of a classic cocktail. It was created in the early 1900s, around 1920s in Trinidad. Um, you can think of the Queen's Park Swizzle as basically a club soda-less mojito. Um, the swizzle part is which makes it unique, which is uh, a technique that I've not used yet in speaking with you, um, in which you use a swizzle stick or you could use a bar spoon to kind of incorporate the drink. So uh, to make the drink, you're going to need some mint leaves, you know, eight to ten mint leaves, and you're just going to kind of gently muddle those mint leaves in a large rocks glass or a Collins glass, something that holds, you know, 12 to 14 ounces, I would say, is, is, is fair. Um, after that, you're going to add uh, a couple dashes, two, three dashes of an aromatic bitters. Um, you're also going to add a half of an ounce of rich simple syrup. Rich simple syrup is simply simple syrup that we always make, except now it's two parts sugar, one part water to give it a little extra sweetness, but no extra volume in the drink. You're also going to use a half of an ounce of fresh lime juice. Now, the, the rum in this, in this particular cocktail is usually a, a Demerara rum, which is from Guiana. Um, you can use any really dark rum that you so desire. It's going to be a dark rum that you want to use, but I chose to use uh, Denizen Vatted Dark Rum. This is a 100-proof rum 
with rums from Guiana and rums from Martinique blended into the into the blend. It's a tremendous, very very affordable rum um, that you can use for all sorts of different cocktails as the base in this one, or even uh, denizen. You know, you could use as a, a as a floater if you want in, in another recipe. So I chose to use denizen vatted hundred proof rum for this. You're going to need two ounces of of the rum. Once those ingredients are into the glass, you're going to add crushed ice into the glass, but only fill the glass about three-quarters of the way because when you insert the bar spoon or if you have a swizzle stick, like if you, when, you, when you tune into the JR Mixed Drinks Instagram, you'll see what I use. Uh, basically, you're going to take this, this instrument and kind of plug it into the ice and, and kind of rub it in between your hands, almost like you're rubbing your hands together to keep them warm. Um, and while you're doing it, you're just kind of moving the swizzle stick or the bar spoon up and down in the glass. What that does is it starts to help dilute the rum, and it helps incorporate all of the ingredients, thus by, quote-unquote, swizzling the drink. When you do this, the ice level falls a little bit, and we only fill it three-quarters of ice at first because, generally speaking, when you do this swizzle kind of motion and you're moving up and down, um, it kind of makes a mess, to be honest with you. If, you don't, if you're not careful, like, the ice will get everywhere. So put three-quarters of the ice in, and then... Uh, once you're done swizzling, you can add a little extra ice on top. You can stir it again if you so desire, but you don't need to. Um, and, and basically, after that, that's the drink. That's the Queen Spark Swizzle. So the difference would be no club soda. Um, you're using a dark rum instead of a white rum. You're going to be using crushed ice instead of uh, a regular cubed ice. And, and, and that's the only differences to the drink from a Queen Spark Swizzle to a mojito. But it's going to be beautiful this weekend. And this drink kind of errs on the side of nicer weather and, and kind of that pool vibe. And so this is going to be a great drink for you to enjoy while, while you're potentially watching the game or sitting out by the pool this weekend or wherever you are. Uh, Queen's Park Swizzle, a great classic cocktail um, that is, is quite easy for everybody to make. All right. Can you tell me your favorite kinds of ice? You have crushed ice in this one. Is that like cubed ice? You got those big balls of ice? Like what's your favorite ice? I, my favorite ice is probably crushed ice or what they'll call in the, uh, in the bar industry, they'll call it pebble ice, like the stuff that you get from, um, uh, what's the name of that fast food place? Uh, I'm blanking on it right now. Yes, like Sonic Ice, yes. Pebble Ice, right? Um, it, it, that's probably my favorite kind of ice because I, I like chewing on the ice in my drink, Ooh. and that just is, is easier. It's already broken down for me to do that. Um, but at the same time, it's, if you're not using that type of ice correctly, you can easily over dilute or water down your drink. And so you have to be careful if you're using that ice to know the proper techniques on how to use it. When I, with the drink today, the pebble ice or the crushed ice, the thing I didn't do is shake, right? Because shaking will help dilute that pro, or speed up that dilution process. And we don't want to do that here. We're looking for all the flavors to be combined and cold, slightly diluted, but not over diluted. Delete, overly diluted. So if you took that crushed ice and really shook it for a long time, you might find that your drink comes out watery. But crushed ice or, or pebble ice is my favorite kind of ice. Yeah, chewing on the ice, you got a problem, don't you? Oh, I love it, man. It's it's like, yeah, maybe it is a nervous tick. I don't know, but I, I do I do like to chew on the crushed ice for sure. Yeah, that's weird. All right. He's J.R. Starkus, <laughs> Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits Extreme Mixologist. J.R., as always, we appreciate it. You bet. Talk to you next week, Jim. Uh, and you can, by the way, find all that on Twitter and Instagram. JR makes drinks on Instagram. JR Starkus on Twitter. Coming up next, we go deep inside Candy's Briefs.
All right, let's go deep inside Candy's briefs. What do you got for us today? Hold on. I just reached in there. Okay. Yep. Got everything I need. Um, Tyler, we're going to do Candy's briefs a little differently today than we normally do. For, for those regular listeners, all two of you, who know that what we normally do is I give Tyler a random number and he has to guess it and find out what it actually relates to. Um, I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to give Tyler all the numbers up front, and I'm going to let him choose which one he wants to try to guess first. All right. That? Sounds you like ready? a let's choose my own adventure game. It is a bit of a choose your own adventure. Here are your numbers. Choose whichever one you want to go to. There are both percentages and there are full numbers. Okay. Here are your percentages. Your percentages are 30 and 41. Your numbers are 20,000 okay. and 1,500. 1,500. Okay. So you have four good. numbers. Which one would you like first? All right. Let's let's do 20,000. That's a big outlier. Though. Let's do 20,000. Okay. 20,000. This is an annual number. This is something that happens this many times in the United States every single year. Oh. It is the amount of people that say bleep you to me on Twitter. It is incorrect. We have okay. not been able to measure that quite yet. Okay. Um, although I did like the guy who put up his annual yes. FU Tyler tweet. Yes. And I'm like, annual? Come on, man. <laughs> Get with the program. Okay. No, this, uh, this happens 50 to 60 times per day. 50 to 60 times per day. We're, and we're in the world of sports? Maybe. May, okay. All right. Maybe. I, I got nothing. I got no idea okay. where we're going. All right. All right. So let's set the scene for you, everybody. Uh, every year in the United States, according to the Davis Law Group, there are 20,000 vehicle into building oh, crashes God. in the oh, United States. <sighs> Tyler is one of 20,000 vehicle into building crashes in the United States. So you. So you're telling me, though, there's like 50 other people that did this the same day as me. On average. We feel, on feel average. pretty good about but, that. But, I was, but, but, I hey, was basically Nevada's representative that day. Yeah, let's get deeper into the numbers and see how you're, uh, how you're <laughs> feeling about that. Uh, do you want to try to guess what the 1,500 number is? Um, 1,500. Uh, no, I, I do not. I don't have a guess. Okay. From 1991 to 1995... There were 1,500 crashes just into 7-Eleven stores in the United States. <laughs> so listen, maybe it's a little better that you only crashed your car into your house and you didn't crash it through a 7-Eleven where it would have been visible to anyone driving by. Not yet, because by my house, they just built a 7-Eleven and they sent us in the mail little coupons for like uh, free soda, free coffee, a free uh, slushy. Like we, I might be going to the 7-Eleven very soon, so they better be careful. Okay, they better they better watch do they, out. Do you think they have those cement uh, bollock things in front of the the building? So if my car does roll forward, it'll just smash into cement instead of their building. Literally, the most Mississippi thing you have ever said in your life on this show is cement, not cement. Oh, that is a good point. C cement. Crashing into the cement. Yeah, that is. I listen. Okay. I don't have. I don't. I don't think I have much of a Mississippi accent, but I think you got me on that one. All right. All right. Do you want to go for 41% or 30%? Gosh, are these all in the same damn vein? <laughs> I, I, I would never give away everything up front. Uh, 
30% of cars that crash into houses are totaled. Uh, no. All right. I'm going to give you the other side of this number. Okay. 70% of collisions that occur involve crashing into a store, business, or a restaurant. So, guess what? It's a lot harder wow. to crash your car into your house than it is to something in public. So, you did something special. I did. Pretty. I'm pretty rare there. That's interesting. Right? That's interesting. Okay, 41%. 41%. Maybe it still has to do with crashing cars into houses maybe it doesn't i don't i I have no idea 41 percent of collisions that involve vehicles crashing into buildings as tyler did uh result from this particular error i mean is it my error not putting the car in park no it well (laughs) we're gonna have to go to the judges on this one uh 41 percent of these collisions result from quote pedal error so I think it's intended to be people who hit the gas yes. instead of the brake. I would assume. I would assume so. That's what pedal error jumps out to me. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I do have more numbers. Oh, uh, I just gave you the first four uh, up front. I mean, l- l- listen. It, when when you go into Candy's briefs, it's Wait, never just a on. quick expedition. Before we go to the next numbers here, are there more percentages on on how cars end up in houses? <laughs> like you're, you're telling me is this for your attorney <laughs> well no no but you're telling me 41 percent were people that probably smashed the gas instead of the brake like my error was not putting it in park but what you're saying is there's 59 percent. so the majority of people something else happened like do you have any other numbers on how else cars end up in houses it does not say okay. whether or not alcohol was a factor in uh what percentage uh, <laughs> uh what percentage involved it um but i will say Chris Davis is the founder of the Davis Law Group in Seattle, Washington. I will get you Chris Davis's contact information <laughs> because he, along with the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety and, quote, and I'm not making this up, the Storefront Safety Council have given us these numbers. <laughs> there is apparently an entire council that I'm guessing is something like Lord of the Flies sitting around a fire in loincloths talking about keeping storefronts safe. And I'm their worst people nightmare. like you. I'm their worst nightmare. From people like Tyler Bischoff, who might just drive straight through. Um, okay. All right. All right. 160,000. Are you ready for that number? 160,000. 160,000. Man. This so, comes from the Storefront Safety Council, so you know it's important. That's like average amount of damage cost in storefront crashes. I will tell you that we're actually getting to that number. But (laughs) uh, U.S. gas and convenience stores could be suffering up to 20 crashes per day for a total of 160,000 gas stations and convenience stores susceptible to people like Tyler, who might just drive their cars right through the front. I drove it into my house, not a gas station. You just threatened to drive it into a 7-Eleven. You just said you're going to take the coupons. I said the the odds are high. For a free Slurpee. They're going to send you a free Slurpee. You are going to drive directly through the glass front of the store and say, you never told me that I had to keep my car out of the store to get the free Slurpee. I just said the odds were higher. No threats were made. Okay. So now we'll go in reverse. We'll, we'll, We'll go in reverse in Candy's briefs, which, given the situation, can be a little bit dangerous. But... Maximum potential, I should, I'm sorry, minimum 
potential annual cost of people like Tyler who drive their cars into buildings. So this what is, do you think? This you is, have to guess it, the amount of damage. Average or, or the entire, the total? We're talking about the, the total okay. for a year. How much damage? It's in the millions. <laughs> how much damage is done by people like Tyler driving their cars into buildings? I'm going to say $16.3 million. You actually were on the right track with the six. 6.6 ah. is the minimum. So 16.3. Interesting. Interesting that you went so high on the number. Looks like you're trying to sort of butter people up for the idea that, <laughs> oh, it's not nearly as expensive as, as you might think. What if I drove into another building? Well, I, it wouldn't even be that much damage. I've Listen, I've already been buttered up. The guy that's fixing ours was like, didn't think it was that bad. He was like, yeah, this is nothing. He was completely unfazed by the hole in my wall, thinking he's basically saying there's worse things than this. Okay. Every year, there are more than 7,300 convenience store crash incidents. This is, this is serious. Like you, you are part of a trend that, according to the Storefront Safety Council, <laughs> appears to be going the wrong direction in the United States. This sounds like a problem. My house. It was my house, Adam. It was not a store. The 7-Eleven was just told to watch out. Oh, man. The 7-Eleven in your neighborhood was just told to watch out. And with that, I will allow you to leave my briefs. Just promise not to crash your car in there. Hey, Adam, I have uh, just one quick question. Do you have the stat or would you be able to give us an update at a later time of how many people crash their car without being in the car i feel like this is a reason for me to contact chris davis of the davis law group in seattle washington <laughs> all right that's the worst candies chonies or candies briefs we've ever done coming up next tony baselli joins us live it's the press box on espn 1100 and 100.9 fm Joining us live from Radio Row on behalf of Alkaline 88 is Tony Baselli. Good morning, Tony. How are you today? Good, Adam. How are you doing? We are doing well today. All right. I do want to ask you this on the Jacksonville Jags. Yep. What do you think Doug Peterson is going to do for Trevor Lawrence? I hope uh, I hope help him. hope get him <laughs> some good players, some guys who can run and catch and block. Uh, no, I think Doug will be great. I think his, you know, Number one is he was a quarterback, so he sees the game through you know a quarterback's eyes, and I think be able to communicate and be with Trevor and help him will be outstanding. And then just his overall acumen as a head coach and the success he had at um, with the Eagles is I think will help bring a lot of credibility to the building for, with all the players and and they need it. I mean, last year was so difficult; uh, it was so dysfunctional with Urban Meyer, and I think it was really hard on all the players, especially a young quarterback who already had so much pressure on him. So I think it's a, it'll be a breath of fresh air having Doug Peterson in the building. Tony, we've spent a lot of time in the last week and a half talking about the Bengals' offensive line against the Rams' defensive line as the key matchup of the upcoming Super Bowl. As an offensive lineman, tell us, are, are we overblowing this, or is this really where you think this whole game will turn? No, I think it's huge. I think it's like, you know, you talk about all the great stars on offense, you know, for the Bengals, and – with Chase and, and, and Burrow and Joe Mixon and, you know, go down the list. And the, and the Rams have a ton of stars as well. But if that offensive line for the Bengals, who gave up the most sacks in the league this year and gave up nine in one game against the Titans in the playoffs, if they can at least slow down Aaron Donald and Von Miller to give Joe Burrow a chance to operate, 
Um, I just I think it's gonna be really difficult for the Bengals to overcome. Um, so you know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to get creative. They better run the ball because they can't just line up and just you know go toe to toe throwing the ball uh, with that pass rush. Well, I mean, what have you thought of basically their whole season where Burrow gets sacked the most of any quarterback in the league, but also throughout the postseason, it's not exactly like it's gotten better the amount of pressure he's been under. Like how how do you think they've been able to do this despite not having a very good offensive line? Well, they do a good job of getting the ball out. They, you know, they like spread people out, and Joe is is so decisive and, and makes such quick decisions. You know, you're able to do a lot of things offensively when you have a guy like Joe Burrow. So, it's a combination of a number of things, and and you know, then you look at the outside weapons that they have, and led by Jamar Chase, and you got uh, Higgins and Boyd, and you, I mean, you got some really good players. You know, so it makes it tough to match up. You know, how often are they going to play man? How often are they going to be able to have you hold the ball a little bit longer? So you get a lot of zone coverage, and, and Joe Burrow picks it apart. So, you know, this is a good team. I know the offensive line is, has struggled at times, uh, no doubt about it, especially in pass protection. But they got plenty of weapons, and we haven't even talked about Joe Mixon. If they can get that run game going and to slow down the rush, they have a great chance to win this football game. Did you, as an offensive lineman, how quickly could you tell with the quarterback that they had, like, a, a great pocket awareness that, like, okay, if the pressure comes from one side, you know that he's going to see that and be able to sort of maybe get away from it a little bit. Like, how quickly could you tell as an offensive lineman when a quarterback had that awareness? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think what you can tell quick, even, even sooner is, like, the toughness and the fact how they're going to handle pressure. And so it's not just the movement because, you know, a lot of those, a lot of guys can do that, you know, and have that ability. But it's it's the guys who can hang in there when the when there's chaos around them, when there's a bunch of noise in the pocket, and there's bodies flying everywhere. That's the presence I'm always looking for is like their ability to stand tall and to operate in those situations. Because I think that's the difference between the guys who are just okay and the really good ones. Tony, we're obviously in the middle of a major change here in Las Vegas with the Raiders, with Dave Ziegler coming in at GM, Josh McDaniels coming in as the head coach. What was your reaction to seeing those hires for this franchise? Yeah, I was I was surprised a little bit. Nothing against Josh McDaniels at all. I'm sure, I hope he does great. I just I thought I would have given Steve uh, I, I would have given uh, Rich Bisaccia another year. I mean, what he was able to do because that team's not making, in my opinion, we don't know this. I don't know if that team makes the playoffs of, with John Gruden as head coach and because um, they were struggling and then obviously the John Gruden all that stuff you know came to light and it was unfortunate but Rich, what Rich was able to do with his staff and get everyone to hang in there and everyone on the same page and they got better as the season went on especially those last five games um, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't give him another year to see what he could do. So on the idea of teams that are hiring new head coaches, we saw a lot of offensive coordinators get hired. The Raiders did that with Josh McDaniels. How much, though, do you think it's important to maybe you don't always get the play caller, but what Rich Passaccia was and I guess would have been if he was still the head coach is simply like the CEO type of head coach where they're not calling plays or they're not, you know, it has their hands in the defense, but they're more of letting the coordinators do their jobs and they're sort of the CEO, the the actual in-game management guy as opposed to the actual coordinator of either side. Yeah, I mean, you can do it a lot of different ways, and teams have won Super Bowls doing it different ways. But the having, you know, being a good play caller does not mean you're going to be a good head coach. Two different skill sets. And so whether you're the head coach and you're the play caller or not, I don't really care because the biggest question I want to know is can you lead my team as the head coach? Can you lead 53 type A, you know, individuals who go, you know, 
go 100, 100 miles an hour 24-7. I mean, can you manage them? Can you get them on the same page? Can you set the vision? Can you manage your staff? Um, it's a leadership position. Now, if you can call plays too, that's great. But I, you also can hire someone who can call plays if you're the head coach. So I think that it's just a, the overall leadership is so important. Um, and you have to have the right guy. And I thought Rich Passaccia did a great job with that. And I'm sure Josh McDaniels will too. He learned a lot from his time in Denver. He's spoken about it. He's obviously a good play caller. Um, so this has nothing to do with whether I think Josh McDaniels is a good uh, coach or not. I just was a little bit surprised about Rich being let go. Tony, uh, with that description you just put out there of the best head coaches, who would you say best fits that that you played for? Uh, well, Tom, I mean, Tom Coughlin was a great head coach. Now, he did it different, I don't, you know, and he evolved throughout his career. I mean, early years he was just a, a menace of, <laughs> like, just, like, miserable. Uh, but he was so organized. He was a good leader. I mean, he got the most out of guys, and he evolved his approach over the years and obviously had, you know, won two Super Bowls. Uh, with New York. So, um, you know, and then back in college, John Robinson was, you know, had such a huge impact on my career at USC. Um, I just thought he was a great head coach, great leader, um, and was a lot of – I enjoyed playing for him. Wait, how many coaches were not miserable? John Robinson's not miserable at all. No. (laughs) Like Tom Coughlin, who I have the utmost respect for. I I, I mean, I love Tom. But he made life miserable. At times, like I, I have no idea how to say it. Um, <laughs> it was just, a, but it was a different era. It was things happened different back then. But I'm sure thankful I got a chance to play for him because he was dang successful. I do want to ask you about the Raiders. They took uh, Alex Leatherwood in the first round, four games in. He moved from right tackle to right guard. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. And maybe we're too quick to pigeonhole guys after one year, but how difficult is it to go back from guard to tackle when you've been moved in year one? Well, I mean, he, he's played both. Um, I, I played with guys who did it. I think I don't think it's that big of a stretch. And I would just, I would have everyone just hes, like hesitate before you like hold back, like take a step back before you make any snap judgments about Leatherwood. Um, he's a young player. You know, I think he has a ton of upside. You know, did not have the best year, but we make we we make these snap judgments today in the NFL and all professional sports. Of like, what have you done immediately? And we don't give some of these young players much time to develop. Um, and so I still think uh, he has a, a chance to be a really good player. Tony, uh, your uh, occasional partner, uh, Ryan Radke, uh, on Westwood One's a friend of mine. And I- I'm curious, as you've transitioned and done uh, more in the broadcasting world. Uh, what is it do you think that we as media get wrong about football beyond what you just said? You, you mentioned you know, that sometimes we're kind of quick with things. What do you think are some of the misconceptions that media have about what's actually like for players? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think for the most part, the media does a good job. Um, I really do. I, I think it depends on the position. I think sometimes it's harder to evaluate what guys are really doing, what they're good at, what they're not. But that's not – I mean, that's just because unless you're really watching the tape and really understand exactly what they're be, that individual is being asked to do, it's hard. Um, but I don't think there's anything that jumps out of like, oh, gosh, the media just doesn't get it. Um, I mean, the only thing I could even would lean to a little bit is that what I said earlier is like, hey, just like let guy, we, we don't give guys a chance to develop anymore. Um, 
And just because a guy struggles, you know, early in his career doesn't mean he can't become a great player. And so I think that's, you know, but that's all. That's just not that's not media. That's all of us fans. Heck, I'm, I, I, get, I fall prey to that as well. Tony Vaselli with us uh, on behalf of Alkaline 88. So, all right, Tony, let us know here. Why is Alkaline 88 the best drinking water for us? Well, it tastes good. It's smooth. Uh, I mean, listen, if, if Shaquille O'Neal is going to partner and approve it, you know it has to be smooth. Um, and, and the way they put it together, the science behind it and the pH levels, it, the body absorbs it quicker. And you got to be hydrated. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it was important to be I'll say this. It was important when I was a player to be hydrated. It's just as important to be hydrated today. I mean, you got to hydrate. You got to sometimes you have to prehydrate before you do other hydrating later. So uh, it's a good water. Body absorbs it, and uh, I'm happy to partner with it. We're in Las Vegas. We have to stay hydrated. You just have to stay hydrated. Outside, you, I so. mean, you know. <laughs> he is Tony Vaselli again uh, on behalf of Alkaline 88. Tony, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So there is Tony Baselli, former uh, left tackle for the Jacksonville Jags and now a uh, commentator, broadcaster for the NFL. Um, Adam, are we too quick on Alex Leatherwood? Could Alex Leatherwood become a good right guard for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders? I still think that's a possibility. Do I think that we're too quick on Alex Leatherwood not being able to make it as a tackle? Not at all, because he was overdrafted by a full round and showed pretty quickly why. Uh, quickly, and this might actually deserve longer conversation once we get deeper in the offseason. Given that they have quite a few on the offensive line, I think it's probably fair to say Leatherwood's going to get at least another shot to be a starter next year. I think he's going to get another shot, but I think you keep him at guard. I, yeah. don't think you, I don't think you try to move him back out to tackle and – you know, and potentially stunt his development for a second year. You got to pick a place and stick him there. And really, the thing is, Tom Cable did a pretty good job with all of the offensive linemen he was handed over time with the Raiders, right? Like the Raiders offensive line turned out to be better than the sum of its parts many times, kind of with the exception of last year when things were really, really bad for them. Uh, and that being said, they still couldn't figure out any way to make Alex Leatherwood a useful player. So hopefully it's next year at guard that the Raiders can find something. All right, here we go. We've got a pair of tickets to go see John Mayer. John Mayer is coming to Las Vegas March 11th. You can buy tickets right now at AXS.com or you can win a pair from us. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see John Mayer, be caller number nine right now at 702 702- 364-1100. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. All right, Adam. It is 9.50 right now in Las Vegas. The trade deadline is in two hours and ten minutes. Uh, apparently, Doc Rivers canceled 76ers practice today. They just had a shoot-around, and he said it was the human thing to do. Uh, Chris Haynes just tweeted that the Nets and 76ers were engaged in trade talks this morning centered on James Harden. So in the next two plus hours, is James Harden a Brooklyn net? No, I think this gets done. <gasps> I, I, I think it makes far too much sense for both sides here because you have one star who has been sitting out the entire season and one star who we've already seen when he doesn't want to be somewhere, he will make it uncomfortable for you. 
So James Harden should not be in Brooklyn when the next two hours end, Tyler. But uh, do you disagree? I don't know. I don't know because I don't know what the Nets or how the Nets view it because I, I tend to believe they think, hey, we can win the title this year. What do we do to win the title this year? And I don't know if they view it as this is salvageable with James Harden and we can get him and Kevin Durant healthy and half a Kyrie Irving and go do this. Or if maybe if they view it as unsalvageable now, then I think it, it, it does get done because otherwise you're going to get most likely less of a return in the offseason and maybe no return given that he can opt out completely and you might not even get the sign and trade option. I just, I don't know how they view Harden and if it's sal- salvageable or not to the Nets. And that's probably what should be the driving factor for the Nets. From the outside, it certainly appears as though it's not salvageable. Like you said, with what happened in Houston, yeah, we had the woe story this morning of, uh, he doesn't want to ask for a trade, but he wants out. Like, it certainly seems like we've gotten to a point where it's probably not salvageable, uh, which would make the trade uh, needing to happen. Uh, necessary to happen here for Brooklyn and probably making them better if they get Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons actually plays basketball. I am. I wonder how much the Nets would hold this up for more than Ben Simmons, though. Like how many other assets do they hold up for this? Because it's been like, eh, is Seth Curry in there? Is Tyrese Maxey untradeable if you're the 76ers in this deal? So I'm, I'm curious if it does happen, what the actual extras are besides Simmons and Harden. I'll tell you this much. The Brooklyn Nets have the better asset, but they also have the bigger decision to make because no one expects anything out of the Philadelphia 76ers at this point this year. People still think the Nets can win the championship. They think that maybe Harden can pull it together. I personally think Ben Simmons gives them a good chance to come out of the Eastern Conference, but I still think James Harden going to 76ers makes them by far the best team in the Eastern Conference. I'm telling you that it would be the best one-two that any team can roll out there in the Eastern Conference. And it's not all that close if James Harden is at full strength and Joel Embiid is doing anything close to what he's been doing. So that's probably the bigger thing that Brooklyn weighs here. Do we make a contender even better with our best player? The problem is, are we a contender if our best player outside of Kevin Durant doesn't want to play for us anymore. <laughs> um, all right. Outside of the potential of a hardened trade, uh, is uh, certainly still the biggest name to move to a contender today? I mean, thus far, okay. and is it, it, it by the end of this? No. Yeah. No, no I, was just, I was just, I, that no, was more the, of a me. Did I miss anything in the last? No. Hour. Okay. okay. It, here's the thing. Understand this much about the NBA when it comes to this year. It's very similar to the NFL. There is no number one team. I love what the Suns have done, and I think the Warriors are only going to get better. But there is no one who's so far head and shoulders above that a contender doesn't say, let's go do something and go for it. Abaco went to the Bucks as part of a four-team trade. The only other thing I see is the Celtics dumping two guys, which I think was just a they uh, PJ Dozer and oh, Bull Bull got traded uh, as part of that. That's sad. Where's he going? Orlando, mate. Will they play him? Just give him like thirty minutes a night. That'll make the Magic more fun, Nobody right? In his way. Bull Bull with the Orlando Magic. The big move of the trade deadline is to get Bull Bull out of Boston.